Welcome to the Mosquito Story Slam podcast, where storytellers have a chance to bite it live. This event was recorded in front of a live audience on August 12, 2015 at WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. The theme for the evening is Young Love. Okay. Oh, are there two in here? Oh, there's two, but Olivia, you're still first. <laughs> Welcome Olivia to the stage, everybody. I'll fix this for you. It's really hard to go first, so, um, you know, relax and just have fun, and uh, we'll give you a little leeway on the time. Is that a good height for you? Yeah, that's straight. Okay, so yeah. closer. Okay. Hi. Um, my name's Olivia, and when I was thinking about young love, um, a couple things came into my head, and... Um, yeah, a couple of them came into my head, and um, some of them were young crushes, and some of them were um, just like super disgusting first kiss, and some of them was just this one um, really grimy one-night stand I once had, um, which was the only one, and then I thought, no, um, I would like to write about or talk about a young love of friendship. Um, and this, um, her name's Sierra, and she's actually right there, um, forced me to do this. And this is talking about a summer right before, um, it was between our sophomore and junior year when we were at boarding school together. And she peer pressured me into a lot of things in high school, um, but most of them were like really sane, and like she peer pressured me into a writing workshop that we're in the middle of doing right now. And she peer pressured me into joining uh, a service group that was hiking the White Mountains and then doing trail maintenance. Um, and it was like a bunch of teens, which is like always something that, that word throws me off. I never wanted to do anything with them. And we um, were supposed to just go up there for like five days and then like sleep in these huts and then like do work and just like chill with cool people. And um, so I, we signed up and um, we ended up going, and it was at the White Mountains at the AMC, which I think, well, you'll, we'll get to that later. And um, there was a base camp, and we stayed at this base camp the first night, and we drove in. Um, I was with, I think my dad dropped me off, and we drove in, and Sierra, who's like super dramatic about everything, comes like sprinting down the hill, like literally like arms circling, and she grabs me, and she was like, Olivia, this kid named Ben that I went to school with in middle school is here, and there was rumors when we were in sixth grade that he raped his cat. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to be here, and I didn't want to be here before, and I definitely don't want to be here anymore. And she's like, no, no, it's going to be fine. So we knew, there was like six of us in this group, it's like me, it's like Sierra, it's like the kid who raped his cat, and then there was like, like three others. And, um... <laughs> We just tried to get to know them the first night, and there was this other group there, and they were gonna like stay at this base camp, and then, like I'm probably, they were like religious, so I don't really know, and they were gonna like come and do work during the day, and like come and stay at this base camp at night, cause it's like safer, I'm not, whatever. And um, so Sierra and I, we spent the first night there, and then we like head out, and we had to um, take up a bunch of equipment, and we're going like, and I wanna say seven miles high, but I think that that is really dramatic, I don't think it was that long at all, um, but that I think is the number that stuck in my head because I felt like it's too much. Um, and we had to carry like, like things to cut tree branches with, um, and then we had to carry, we had hiking boots and all of our stuff, and then we had to carry each a food bag and a hard hat. 
And the hard hat is really confusing to everyone who understands the fact that we're climbing to the top of a mountain to do work where you're above tree line, like on a mountain, like there's nothing higher than you. And so why you have to wear a hard hat is like really beyond us all. And um, so we basically got up there the first day. Sierra was stuck with the heaviest pack and we had one digital camera. It was the only electronics that we had on us. Um, it was like three years ago, so it's like a really long time ago. Um, and we, she, I just have like so many photos of her with such anger on her face holding this giant trash bag um, that she just carried with like regret up the entire way. Like there was no positivity about the situation. Um, but we got up there and we set up camp and whatever and there's these little like lean-to huts. And the little huts, I'm just gonna set this up for you because it has a big point in the story later, is um, a wooden like floorboard uh, that was probably like 15 feet across and like eight feet down. So it's pretty big so we could all like six of us or whatever lie like that. And then the two instructors who were like, 24-year-old potheads, basically, who just did, contributed very little to the trip, um, they were supposed to sleep outside. And so the lean-to had the roof that came over the edge, and the floor went over the edge, so the wall was there. And so if you slept, you could, like, sit in a covered area on the what was the floor that was a little bit raised off the ground, and there was a little covering, and it was all whatever. You know, this happened on all the sides, kind of. Um, and so the first night there, we were already really sick of our group. There was one cool girl um, from Manchester by the Sea. Her name was Sarah. Um, and then there was one kid who had like claimed that he trained with the Marines, but we were like 15, and we we're like, that's not, that's not real. And he would just like do push-ups and stuff to like show us that he knew what he was talking about. Um, and then there was someone else. I don't know. And uh, we we just really we liked them, but we hated the instructors. And um, at one point, one of the instructors, ooh, I'm like not over. Um, at one point, one of the instructors went to take a photo of us and Sierra just kept like hiking higher and higher away just because she wanted space. And the woman just kept saying, Sierra, you're out of the camera's frame, like we can't even see you. And Sierra's like, no, no, it's what I want. And they, and they kept going. So I have a photo where if you look really closely, you can see Sierra like the dot, just like hiding in the woods. Um, but we just did, we did that, we went to sleep, it was fine, it was great. We woke up the next day, and we hiked on the trail mountain. Um, and it turns out these instructors had no idea what service maintenance needed to be done. They just uh, were inventing things for us to do. Um, and so, I don't even know if we lasted um, two full days or it was just that one day. But all I remember is um, it's on Mount Washington, if any of you have been there, just it's just pure rock um, at the top of Mount Washington. And they wanted people to stay on the trail because up there, the terrain, if there is any small plants, um, it's really delicate and you're, to, you're not supposed to step on them. But um, right going up to Mount Washington, it's just pure rock. There's no greenery. But they felt like they wanted people to just walk straight up the rock instead of like doing kind of a hilly, willy-nilly, whatever it is, like cruise around. And so they had us building a rock wall using smaller rocks on top of the large rocks, wearing our hard hats. And a man walked past and said, why are you wearing hard hats? And his friend said, it's in case one of them gives up, throws a rock, the others are all protected. Um, that was also the time that Sierra decided to invent characters for us, and at one point a small group of high schoolers, similar to our age, were walking past, and Sierra turned to me and fervently said, this makes me uncomfortable because according to my 
court hearing, I'm not supposed to be within 50 yards of anyone outside of our juvenile group. <laughs> and they all looked at us like so terrified and I was like, no, I'm one of you guys. I'm not supposed to be with these people. Um, anyway, so basically Sierra and I just planned a mutiny that night. We were like, we're not gonna do this again. We are 15, goddammit, and we want to be free. And um, we're like, look, 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 we can't be young kids about this year. We need to think this through and act like adults. And she was like, yeah, definitely. And I was like, let's run away. And she was like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and um, we, <laughs> we, we had a notebook and a pen because we wanted to be writers. And it was empty because we hadn't written anything. And um, we, we made a packing list because we loved organization. And the packing list was all the things we had brought up with us. Um, and it was basically like our to-do list was like pack them away um, so that we can hike down with them. And then we made a bunch of letters. And we wrote one letter to our fellow campers that said like, hey guys, find us on Facebook, XOXO. Olivia and Sierra. Um, we made another <laughs> letter to the uh, counselors that basically said, like, uh, you guys were bad at this. Um, thank you for the two days here. And then we wrote another letter that we were the most proud of that said, Olivia and Sierra take responsibility for our life. Um, even if a bear attacks us on the trailhead, like we don't blame the AMC, which like I don't think that they appreciated later when they found that. Um, but we gave ourselves really big pats on the back, and um, we we barred a watch that night. Um, we packed everything away. We put it as close to the sliding doors we could, and we woke up at three in the morning. Um, like I don't think I slept. We were just like super giddy, and we slowly pulled all of our sleeping bags um, and whatever stuff we had out of the tent, we um, put our letters on the table and we like stood behind the, the, the side of this hut, packing everything away, just like looking at each other, like really wide-eyed um, and excited and nervous, but mostly excited. And um, it was really cold, like I remember seeing our breath. And we just wore Crocs because of stealth. And um, <laughs> we decided to put everything that we could into these bags and then we're gonna walk like two minutes away to where the bathrooms were and then really sit down and reorganize and regroup so we were, like didn't lose our heads over this entire ordeal. And we got to the bathroom, oh, we're standing there and we have our bags on and we're ready and Sierra just powers around the corner, it's like four whatever in the morning, not even, and she smacks right into the father of the counselor um, who had come to visit his son on his, like, his first real job or something up in his mountains. And she immediately just says, good morning, sir. And then she just turns right around and she's like, what the fuck? And um, we handled it super coolly and we said with like 25 pound bags on her back, we're just going for a morning hike. We will see you at breakfast. And if it was a mother, I'm sure we would have been stopped, but it was a father and he said, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> And we were like, thank you, sir. And we peace with our Crocs and our sleeping bags in our hand and like our backpacks on our back. And we get to this bathroom and we're repacking everything and we're just sitting on the floor of like, I'm sure it was covered in like years of urine, just being like, this is dope. Like, commend us. Imagine the Facebook post we can do about this. And um, we're about to leave and Sierra realizes that she has left her hiking boots with the entire camp. And I wanted to smack her and said, Sierra, that is the work of a child. We are 15. We need to be more on top of it. We made a packing list. 
And she went back to get it. The father just said that was a good thing and that she had come back to get her hiking boots and then we pieced again. And we carried down our hard hats and we carried down the things you cut off tree branches with. We carried, we were like, we're not gonna leave our tools with our fellow campers because that's just cruel. And uh, we put everything on our back and we took off running so fast. Um, we were each wearing yellow Crocs and we had everything else on our backs and we tiptoed at first to the camp so that no one would wake up and then we just ran and we ran and we ran and we ran and uh, when we thought it was safe, we put on our hiking boots um, and then because we just had a digital camera, we did a photo shoot next to a waterfall at sunrise because cute and, uh, and a lot of things went wrong after that um, and we got in some trouble and uh, that moment though, didn't really care because we felt super alive um, with really full souls, and we were young, and we were friends, and uh, no regrets since. Thank you. Can we have Sarah to the stage? Hello. Oh, those lights are bright. Uh, I'm a little nervous and I've run out of wine, so bear with me. Uh, <laughs> okay, so a couple of the previous stories have mentioned music, so I think that's a good, a good uh, lead-in here. Uh, so when I was, I met my husband when I was 23, so I wasn't that far past my teen years. And I don't know if you remember, but when you're a teenager, music is like everything. I was convinced that there was no way the man I would marry could have anything other than the most perfectly synchronous musical tastes with me. He had to like Pearl Jam and R.E.M., but I was picky. If he liked the Foo Fighters, he was out. <laughs> so when I first started flirting with Pat, I was, you know, waiting for that moment when I got into his CD book. And uh, so it happened, we were driving in his car and he handed me the CD book. This was the early 2000s, we still use CDs. And uh, I was flipping through and I was just I was waiting for the, you know, those perfectly accordant musical tastes to pop up. But what I got instead was, there was a lot of Neil Young, a lot of Bob Dylan, some Grateful Dead, some Grateful Dead, <laughs> some Grateful Dead. <laughs> Some Jerry Garcia, some Grateful Dead. Uh, so it was like a, a rock in my stomach. We hadn't even kissed and it was over. But I pu we pushed through. I, I tried to set it aside. I, I was 23, I was growing up. Um, so uh, we, we moved on, we had the first kiss, we dated a little, we eventually moved in together. It, things were going well. But the music remained kind of a point of contention. Uh, I had some pop music on my, uh, on my iPod, and he couldn't take anyone seriously who had Britney Spears and knew the words. Uh, and I, he didn't know any CDs uh, produced after 1980, so I was kind of concerned that he was just hopelessly stuck in the past. And then, so we were just at a stalemate. We, if someone said, hey, you want to listen to some music? In most households, that's like, the beginning of a pleasant evening. In our whole house, it was like the equivalent to like unilateral foreign affairs negotiations. <laughs> okay, one REM, then one Bob Dylan, but I'm vetoing the Grateful Dead. <laughs> um, 
But then something wonderful happened. Lady Gaga. <laughs> Specifically, I'm talking about Telephone. I don't know if you know this song. It features Beyonce. They're like kicking worthless guys to the curb. In the video, they're actually killing them. Um, they're losing their heads and their hearts on the dance floor. It's a fantastic song, and I knew Pat would hate it. So I bought it, it was on my iPod, but I only listened to it when he wasn't home. But then one day, iPod was on shuffle, I was on the other side of the room, and it came up before I had a chance to flip past it. And as I was rushing to the other side of the room, I glanced over to like look for his eye roll, and what I got instead was a big smile. I love this song. Okay, so that blew my mind, but... It was fantastic. From then on, you know, the, the Grateful Dead was more tolerable for me, and the Lemonheads were more tolerable for him if we just started out with telephone. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, our, the, the relationship continues, and he asks me to marry him. And so, obviously, you're planning a wedding, you need to plan that first dance song. <laughs> no, we didn't go with telephone, though we did consider it. <laughs> Um, but he's not exactly what you'd call rhythmically gifted, so we didn't think we could pull it off. Um, so we, we picked a Frank Sinatra song. We kind of swayed in front of everyone else awkwardly when the time came. And then we were off doing the rest of the wedding things, chatting with people, drinking champagne. And, but then I'm outside, right outside the venue. He's, I have no idea where. But something that I'll tell you about weddings, you don't actually get to spend all that much time with your spouse during them. Um, so I'm outside, and he's somewhere, and all of a sudden I hear those familiar opening strains of telephone. Do, do, do. <laughs> and I'm just, I don't even know who I was talking to or what I said. I just bolted for the dance floor. And as I'm entering the dance floor from one side, I see him coming in from the other side. And our friends and our families are also pretty excited that DJ had not been awesome until this point. And we're all on the dance floor. We're losing our heads and our hearts on the dance floor, as Gaga says. And Pat's still over on the other side of the floor, and I'm on this side, and we're flailing, and we're spinning, and we catch each other's eyes, and we smile, because they're playing our song. Oh, welcome to the stage, my pal Kurt. Yeah, Kurt. Thank you. You're welcome. This is my first time doing this, so I'm super duper nervous. Uh, everybody's been great. And the last one was perfect. You can't, it was like right at, so anyway, that's, that's a lot of pressure. But when I think about young love, I've been thinking about the line, women are like buses. Women are like buses. This is my father when I'm 13 years old going through my heartbreak. And he's on the other line. He's on the other end of the phone. He called every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. And I'm like this. <laughs> and he's saying, you know, Kurt, women are like buses. There's another one coming in 10 minutes. <laughs> you just have to stand there and wait. And I'm like, I'm like, this guy, he's very confused because you know, the only bus I'm familiar with is the school bus. And, 
and it barely comes every school day. It do, it's, not, it's not every 10 minutes by a long shot. And when I miss it, I get my ass chewed out. I don't like, it's not, it's not just, and, and of course, I, I wanted the bus that was Trina. Uh, I didn't just want any bus. I, Trina wore lipstick and I used about a half a can of Aquanet every day. And she uh, drank wine coolers and had these painted on jeans. And one time we were making out and she, she kind of brushed me in the right area. And I'd been thinking about that a lot. Like it was in my head. So I was a little confused. Uh, he said, you know, you're lucky. Now, my father's from Montana. He was this big Montana cowboy. He said, you're really lucky, Kurt, because like I told you, I'm 13. He said, like I told you, you should break up with them before Christmas, their birthday, and Valentine's Day. And if it's love, you guys will get back together again. So this is perfect. And I was thinking, like, I wanted to put Trina on my Christmas list, you know. And uh, my... And this is kind of the story of the birds and the bees in, in my life. Uh, my mother was even more confused. Uh, it was, she said, um, one day we're, we're driving to a drugstore, and she said, who's going to have sex with a pimply-faced kid but the town pump? And I was like, town pump? What, is, what does that mean? Like the buses was confusing enough. <laughs> and we're driving by a gas station, literally, and I'm like, gas pump? bike pump, like I was playing a lot of ba basketball pump, and it was, it was the 80s, and she was, she was convinced, she was trying to be a single mom, that when, when sex came up, she was taking me directly to the drugstore to buy condoms, and uh, because she didn't want me to catch AIDS from the town pump, because she was convinced, I, she was watching the wrong news or too much of the right news, I don't know, but she was convinced she was saving my life, so she had me go to the drugstore, and like this is our mother, son time, pick out condoms. And I said, well, which kind should I buy? How many should I buy? And she said, well, as many as you think you should, you need. And this is like my first lesson in optimism and realism. I, uh, I, I bought three and I, I didn't think I really needed one, but I was kind of hopeful. And, and, and she said, and I'm gonna tell your father that he has to teach you how to put them on. So I went that summer to California where my father lived. And after a little bit of time where I hoped he forgot, and I'm think, I hope, he probably hoped I forgot, he walked in my bedroom one day and threw me what he called a safe. And he said, uh, your mother wants me to watch you try this on. <laughs> he said, I think we're a little early for that. And I was married to her for a while, so I'm, I'm confused that she thinks you can put it on backwards. <laughs> and then the other thing she wanted me to do was get some bananas and have you practice on those. <laughs> but I think you're going to figure it out. And all I could think of was that, that idea of the yellow banana being as close to the bus that ever came. <laughs> Here we go, guys. The final story tonight is Carly Smith. Welcome. Okay. So
So um, I was a bit of a late bloomer romantically, not because of not being interested, just because I get really nervous. Like, I am really, really nervous right now. Um, I've always had sort of trouble with, like, being anxious, and it's better, but the worst case scenario when I was a teenager would be that I would give a boy my phone number and he would call my house and like one of my brothers or my dad would answer. That would be enough to just be like, nope, I'd rather just not be involved with anybody else and ever. Um, but the summer that I was 17, some friends and I decided we were going to go on this great camping trip and we were going to get away from it all. Um, so I grew up in Sandwich, so we went to Nickerson State Park. <laughs> because we really wanted a change of scenery. Um, so we, I think we spent two nights there in like a big tent. Um, it was me and like my best girlfriend at the time and just two of our guy friends that were just friends but one I have been harboring a secret crush for for some time. Um, so we did all like the, the Nickerson type things, like we swam in the lake and we went down to the drive-in and just explored like the exotic locations like Chatham and, and it, yeah, it was, it was wild. Like we drank like a whole case of soda and so it got pretty wild. Um, the second, and, and, you know, I noticed that the guy I liked kept spending, like, a lot, choosing to spend a lot of time with me. So I was pretty jazzed about it. So the second night, um, we were sleeping in the tent, and everyone was asleep, and all four of us slept, like, just side by side in this tent because it was so big. So I, I got up because I had to go to the bathroom, and, of course, I had to walk to the bathhouse in the dark. Um, and so when I got up, the guy that I liked, Ben, got up too and said, what are you doing? And I said, and I was trying to unzip the tent, like, but not turn my flashlight on yet. And I said, I have to go to the bathroom. I have to get, I have to get out of here. So he was like, well, it's, it's dark, so I'll walk you to the bathroom. I was like, oh, the chivalry is, like, this is the height of chivalry, right? <laughs> This guy, and he was like, give me the flashlight, I'll carry the flashlight. And I was like, oh my God, I was dying. <laughs> so, so he walked me to the bathroom, and I hate when other people carry the flashlights, but I was willing to put it aside, even though I couldn't see where I was going. Um, we made it, I went to the bathroom, and I came out, and we were walking back to the tent, and having some just, you know, really low-level chit-chat, and before we get back to really our camping area, he grabbed my hand and I, and like turned me around and just laid one on me, and he stuck his tongue down my throat, and I was so, like, I didn't expect it, and I was nervous, and I pushed him back because I threw up everywhere. <laughs> To the point where I was bracing myself on a tree, trying not to throw up on my pajamas. And I looked up, 
And there he was, holding the flashlight very politely, not on me or the throw up. And I said, I think I need to go find my toothbrush. You go ahead and go back to bed. So I brushed my teeth and crawled sheepishly back into my, into my um, sleeping bag. <laughs> and um, it was a really a strange experience because it was the worst, but it was the best night ever. I crash kissed me. Um, but I was like, well... I mean, here it was, 17 years, and it happened, and I was so, like, uh, I blew it, right? Like, three weeks from homecoming, and I blew it. But I woke up the next morning, and my friends were not in the tent anymore. I heard them rummaging around outside, and I rolled over to where Ben's sleeping bag and his pillow were, and on his pillow was, a like, a travel-size Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mosquito Story Slam podcast 2015 summer season. The Mosquito is produced by Tidal Theater Company, Kate Langstaff and Vanessa Vardabedian, and is sponsored by WOMR 92.1 FM and Boobalas by the Bay Restaurant in Provincetown. Find your next opportunity to join us live and tell your story at facebook.com slash Mosquito Story Slam or via Twitter at Mosquito Story. Listen to all Mosquito podcasts on soundcloud.com slash Mosquito Story Slam. Tell your friends, take a chance, and bite it live. <laughs>